Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, September 1st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... If we keep working together, if we keep doing the little things, we will see things continue to improve. The governor extends his executive orders, including the statewide mask mandate, while allowing looser restrictions on high school athletic attendance. Then, a coalition of southern states is working together to push for Medicaid expansion. Plus, a clash between the state auditor's office and the Mississippi Department of Education. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Residents of Mississippi will be required to wear a mask when out in public for at least two more weeks. During a press briefing yesterday, Governor Tate Reeves announced he is extending his executive orders mandating masks and limiting social gatherings. Reeves says the transmission rate in Mississippi is declining and he's extending his measures to prevent further spread of the coronavirus in September. We signed the previous order a few weeks ago and it's working. Things have been improving. We can always improve faster. We can always do better. But I'm encouraged by the efforts of the people of this great state. As our numbers improve, we're able to do more and more safely in the community. I want to thank the people of Mississippi for working hard to make these improvements possible. Nothing is without risk. But we have to allow life to go on and to deal with these challenges that are before us. As we move into Labor Day weekend, please continue to make the effort. I've said it a hundred times before, and I'm sure I'll say it a hundred times again. But in this crisis, none of us has been perfect, including myself. But if we keep trying, if we keep working together, if we keep doing the little things, we will see things continue to improve. 
One area of public concern as the pandemic continues is on-campus learning. Two outbreaks have already been reported at state universities and more K-12 through districts are resuming classes this week. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says the Department of Health is working with school districts to monitor cases and quarantines. One of the things that we're doing is continuing to work with the schools. Uh, by and large, the schools that we've been working with uh, are really working hard to identify cases within the school setting and to um, get those individuals quarantined or excluded from school um, and to get those cases um, isolated and excluded from school. This is preliminary um, report, and you know that we're going to be reporting uh, aggregate data uh, on a weekly basis by county for our schools. Uh, but for the week of uh, August 24th through August 28th, there were an additional 123 uh, cases among teachers and staff, an additional 251 cases among um, students. Um, and with that, um, in last week's time frame, we were looking at about 3,500, a little bit over 3,400 students that were quarantined and about 450 teachers that were under quarantine as a result of their exposures. Again, this date is preliminary, and we're going to be um, reporting that out on our website. A topic of controversy came up during Governor Reeves' latest briefing. Last week, Reeves shared a picture of himself masked at an event on the front lawn of the White House. But other images have surfaced showing him maskless and shoulder-to-shoulder with other attendees. Reeves says his attendance is a matter of risk-reward evaluation. When you think about the, the risk associated with this virus, uh, some of the things that are, are relatively clear uh, are that um, there is less risk of transmission uh, when you are outdoors than when you are indoors. Uh, that's why we talked a lot about communal living early on. Um, look, when you, when you look at the, the individuals that were, were at the White House supporting uh, the uh, nomination for the, for the Republican Party for President Trump, um, th- there's a couple of things um, that, that, again, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but I do think it's important to note that uh, there were 366 uh, people invited uh, that had been at the Republican National Convention, myself included, and in the uh, four days prior, within the four days prior to that event occurring in Washington, D.C., every single one of us had been tested at least once and most of us twice. Um, even with that, uh, some of us, myself included, wore a mask for much of the event, um, certainly not for the entire event in my case, uh, but for much of the event. And so everything that we do today um, get, during the COVID-19 is a, a um, scenario in which we have to uh, evaluate the risk and the reward. And, and I certainly believed as did a number of my fellow Republican governors around the country, uh, that this election is important enough um, and that our relationship with the president, uh, we wanted to be there to support him. Uh, we wanted to be there, uh, obviously, uh, to show uh, our support. And that is a decision that we made. Reeves modified one part of his executive order that will allow for K-12 through sporting events and extracurricular activities to increase crowd sizes up to 25 percent capacity. Coming up, a coalition of southern states is working together to push for Medicaid expansion. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Proponents for expanding Medicaid in Mississippi are joining forces with other southern states to draw attention to the need for the health insurance program. Health care advocates think the challenges heightened by the coronavirus pandemic may encourage Mississippi's Republican-majority-led legislature to expand Medicaid. Roy Mitchell is with Mississippi Health Advocacy Program. He tells our Desiree Frazier the program has become more vital than ever as the nation combats the virus. Medicaid and during the pandemic has become more critical now than ever. Um, and uh, we've seen other states in recent months, uh, in fact, deeply conservative states like Oklahoma and Missouri, um, expand Medicaid despite years of opposition. Um, and so With COVID-19 cases rising and Mississippi suffering some of the worst COVID-19 death rates, um, the stabilization of our health care system is paramount to us as health advocates. And expanding Medicaid accomplishes this by significantly decreasing the uncompensated care in our state. Do you have a strategic plan on how you're going to try and do this? Um, well, we, we see that there are some opportunities um, that have not been there in the past. Um, you know, I mentioned Oklahoma and Missouri. Um, those states uh, accomplished Medicaid expansion by ballot initiatives. Um, we have an opportunity to do that. Um, we have seen um, Mississippi legislature being more responsive to voters, um, a great illustration of that is the flag issue. Um, and, you know, there's increased financial pressures on our state economy, and in particular, um, the healthcare um, sector of our economy as a result of COVID-19. And so how do you see this playing out? Well, um, like other states, I can see um, the providers, um, uh, Mississippians at large, um, collectively working to bridge the disconnect that we currently have between public opinion and public policy in the state. We uh, at the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program have pulled Medicaid expansion for years, and um, every time we have pulled it, uh, the majority of Mississippians support Medicaid expansion. Um, they support the fact that it leads to healthier citizenry, it uh, leads to a healthier economy, Um, it saves lives. Um, um, And, you know, we've seen a disparate impact of COVID-19 in our state. And, you know, this is one way that we can also uh, correct a lot of health disparity in the state. How many people could benefit from this? 
we estimate that more than 180,000 more Mississippians could potentially be eligible for health care coverage in the state if we expanded Medicaid. Have you reached out to lawmakers? Uh, well, frankly, we've been reaching out to lawmakers for 10 years now. Um, but uh, we were encouraged by the vote, uh, recent vote on, on uh, repealing the flag. Um, I think that that was a longstanding uh, example of, of the disconnect between public opinion and public policy in the state. And so, again, we're encouraged by that, and uh, we'll continue to talk with our lawmakers. Well, Roy Mitchell with the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about this issue and um, highlight what you're doing to um, expand Medicaid. Well, thank you for sharing our story. The alliance is called Southerners for Medicaid Expansion Coalition. In Mississippi, Mitchell says more than 180,000 people would be eligible for Medicaid if it was expanded. Democrat John Hines of Greenville is on the House Medicaid Committee. He says the pandemic is revealing the financial struggle Mississippi's rural hospitals are facing. We are woefully inadequately prepared to handle situations like we're in right now. And, And once people accept that, I think that the opportunity for expanding Medicaid uh, comes. So you, you're not sure that we've reached that that point? Well, um, I have had a lot of conversations with hospital administrators, and they are saying if it had not been for the the um, money from the, uh, the COVID relief fund, a lot of them would have had to close their doors. So now we're at a point where we have no other choice but to step up or allow these hospitals to close the doors. Do you see this as being a focal point come January 2021 for the legislative session? Well, for the first time in in years, we're having open dialogue about what is best for Mississippi. Not so much uh, from a Republican or Democrat standpoint, but what is best for Mississippi. And so that has not always happened, but now we're at a point where we have those conversations. So I think uh, once we move away from uh, this thought about Obamacare is bad and start looking at the dollars and the practical sense of it, anyway, you get 75 cents for every quarter you spend. It's, it's basic economics for me. Are you hearing from people that your constituents that this is something that they want? That's actually interesting. You said that I was at a uh, meeting a couple of weeks ago, and uh, a couple of my constituents are healthcare providers, and they were talking about that. They said they don't understand why we hadn't expanded Medicare, and so. Um, it became a very interesting conversation because I asked them to, to make some phone, some phone calls uh, to some people and, and begin to have this conversation. Well, Representative Hines, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this issue. Well, thank you. Medicaid expansion requires states to match $1 for every $3 the federal government allocates. Republican Senator Joey Fillingain of Sumrall is on the Senate Medicaid Committee. He says there's a financial concern the state must consider in expanding the program. People may not understand this, but even though it's a federal program, 
that program is administered through the state individually. So Mississippi has the state division of Medicaid. And with that, there's a match. So there's a $1 basically for every $3 that comes down from the federal government. So it is more heavily weighted on the federal end, but there's still that dollar match that Mississippi has to come up with in order to fund this program. And of course, as you expand it, as more people become eligible, then the number of the matches um, increases, of course, because uh, everyone has to have their match in order to draw down the federal dollar. So it's, it's simply a question of at what point can the state of Mississippi afford any sort of expansion and what are the benefits um, that would come with that? Now that we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic and you have people who have been laid off, people and who don't have health insurance now, do you see more of a will to do it? I would say that with the pandemic and all of the issues that it has brought up in all of our daily lives, there has been certainly an increased need for health care in our state. Of course, the federal government has provided with COVID relief dollars a large chunk of money to help pay for a lot of what COVID uh, costs as far as the testing, the treatment, the uh, ventilators, all of that sort of thing. But yes, there is obviously a new focus on health care because everyone turns on the, the news or listens to the radio or looks at their um, you know social media and they see advertisements and they see government health warnings, and it's all focused on health care. Would you support it? I can't answer that without seeing what you're talking about. I mean, do I support generally people having access to health care? For sure. To also support being able to balance the budget and make sure that we don't overspend Absolutely. So when you're asking, do you support something, I always have to say, I need to see the plan that you're proposing. You can see what it costs, where you're proposing to take those dollars from. Is it from another state program? Are you talking about increasing taxes to pay for something? So that's sort of an open-ended question. I would actually have to see your proposal before I could tell you if I support or, or don't support it. Senator Fellingain, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about this issue. Anytime. Thank you, Desiree. More than 750,000 Mississippians currently receive Medicaid benefits. Coming up, a clash between the state auditor's office and the Mississippi Department of Education. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. We are a Yucca Drive-In Theater. We're the last operating drive-in in the state of Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Freaked me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus pandemic is forcing many schools to pivot to virtual learning, and districts across the state are in the process of buying computers and students to meet the demands that come for students to meet the demands that come with the shift. The Mississippi legislature recently passed the Equity and Distance Learning Act, which provides $150 million and directs the Mississippi Department of Education to develop a system for districts to purchase technology. Now, 
the state auditor is accusing the MDE of ignoring state law on the use of COVID-19 stimulus money. Auditor Shad White tells our Ashley Norwood MDE is slowing down districts' ability to buy computers for students who may need to learn at home. One of the things that the legislature said in state law is the Department of Education should develop a list of its preferred vendors, uh, the EPL list. Uh, but in addition to that, if the schools wanted to not buy from some of those preferred vendors, they should be allowed to do that as long as they meet certain criteria. Well, the problem was that MDE decided that they were going to tell school districts that the school districts had to buy from MDE's preferred vendors uh, after July 31st. And that just did not comport with the law. That was not what the law said. That's not what the legislature wrote. It was in plain language in the text. So my orders um, brought that to the attention of MDE uh, executive personnel, including the chief of operations over at MDE, and told them, you know, we're seeing communications from you guys telling these school districts they have to buy from your preferred vendors, and this is not what the law allows. You have to allow flexibility. You have to allow these schools to buy from their own vendors if they meet these certain criteria. And so this went on for several days and uh, could not get MBE to stop issuing guidance to these school districts saying uh, that they had to buy from MBE's preferred vendors. So finally, after, after multiple communications back and forth between our offices, I wrote a letter to the governor, lieutenant governor, and the speaker saying, look, MBE is just not complying with the law that the legislature wrote and that the governor signed, and somebody's going to have to do something uh, in order to make sure that they comport with the law. Wasn't there a time when MDE did respond disputing that it wasn't allowing districts to purchase from vendors outside of that list? You know, MDE, MDE leadership said the, the day after the letter that, oh, well, we are allowing school districts to, uh, to buy off of their, outside of their preferred vendors. But literally two hours before they wrote a press release saying that they were allowing that flexibility, we have emails showing MDE executives telling school districts they still have to buy from MDE's preferred vendors. So, you know, this was this was an absurd set of circumstances because <laughs> leadership is saying one thing, but the MDE staffers who are telling school districts what they can and cannot do continued to tell them things that did not comply with the law uh, up until my letter got out there, and up until uh, finally they were they were asked repeatedly to say publicly that school districts had this flexibility. And thankfully we've gotten some we've gotten some communications from superintendents now saying yes, MDE is now finally, just in the last couple of days, telling us that we do have this flexibility. They were singing a very different tune last week. Superintendents were calling my office left and right saying MDE is is forcing us to buy from their vendors. This is not what the law says and what are you going to do about it? And and the superintendents were right. So for people who may not understand the significance of your findings and the results and where we are now um, and that, you know, that entire exchange with MDE, will you explain, you know, why this is important? Why was this important to investigate in the first place, who it impacts um, here in Mississippi and what where you hope to go from here? 
Well, what I would say is that there's a lot of money being spent right now, and, and that money is being spent on some pretty important things like technology for students. When you've got a lot of money being spent on really important things, it is very important that the law is followed in those circumstances. So in this case, the law was written in such a way that required competition uh, for this business. You know, we, we put a bunch of money aside for technology for students. We wanted MDE to go out and hold an open competition so that computer companies could come in, compete with one another, uh, and offer the best possible price on those computers to the taxpayers and for the students. And we wanted school districts to be able to go out and beat that price if they were able, if they were able to find a computer vendor who could do better. And, uh, you know, if, if you start to disobey that law, what you are doing is you are, you are undermining the competitive process that was designed by lawmakers. And so you're, you're making it more likely that the taxpayers are going to have to pay more than they should for those computers, and you're making it more likely that students are never going to see those computers because the school districts may have a hard time paying those sorts of prices. The school districts have to put up a little bit of their own money, too, in order to be able to get this technology. They have to put up a match. So, you know, on behalf of the students who need the computers and the taxpayers who are footing the bill on this thing, we have got to have somebody who stands up and says, this is the law and MDE has to follow the law. And, and, you know, I know it doesn't make me the most popular person in the building over at MDE. And I'm not even sure I could, I could walk in the door right now if I, if I had to, but the important thing is that the taxpayer's interest is defended and the student's interest is defended. Thank you so much, Chad White, State Auditor. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ashley. In a press release, State Superintendent of Education Kerry Wright disputed White's claim, calling it inaccurate and devoid of all context about the intent of this law. Since then, the State Department of Education has said publicly that schools have some flexibility and do not have to buy from its preferred vendors. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.